0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, KDE announced their latest big release of their application suite with dozens of new app updates. We've got some distro news to talk about with Canopics, Slackware, Endeavor OS, and Neptune. System 76 announced some really cool news with their new graphical firmware management tool. We'll talk about the CutiePie, an open-source tablet project. Later in the show, we'll check out some new Humble Bundles for games and some Python programming books. Then we'll take a look at a newish media player called celluloid and we've got some more news to follow up on huawei and then we'll finish up the show with some linux gaming news for flycast a dreamcast emulator and some updates for google stadia all that and much more coming up i'm michael Tanell with tux digital and this is your weekly source for linux good news This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $50 credit for an entire month of service by going to do.co/tux. That's do.co/tux. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co/tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux. A first in the show this week is KDE has announced their big release of their application suite for 19.08. If you're not aware, KDE is the group that makes all these different applications. You know, just to be clear, if you're not, if you think there's a lot of people who think that KDE is the name of the desktop environment, that's actually Plasma. KDE is the people who make all of those things. Um, it's, it's Okay, admittedly, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's the gist of it. But anyway, uh, there's quite a few things that are in this uh, release because they have a big set where they release everything at once. So all of their applications are all released at the same time, which is really cool. It means there's a lot to talk about, but there's kind of too much to talk about, so we're going to talk about just the standout features from a few applications rather than everything because there's so many things. But the goal of this release was to bring more features and better design software, which will increase usability and stability of apps like Dolphin, Console, Kate, and more. So first of all, we're going to talk about Dolphin. Dolphin has improvements to minimize clutter and also improve the information panel for various files. And they also made it where you can play media inside of the main panel from Dolphin, which is interesting. Uh, GwynView uh, also has improvements to their thumbnail viewing. If you're not aware, GwynView is an image viewer, and they've improved the thumbnail system because they're using a low-resolution thumbnails, which makes it better for, it makes it faster, more performant, as well as uses less resources to do so. They've also added a new share menu, which is pretty nice. Ocular has received some improvements to their EPUB support, so if you like, if you want to read eBooks from the EPUB format, you can do so inside of Ocular much better now. They've also added better support for high DPI in Ocular, which is great. Uh, console gets a boost in their tiling features, so t- Console is their terminal emulator. If you're if you're uh, not aware, they actually already had tiling features inside of Console, but those tiling features were not that great. Uh, they were good they were functional but they were kind of cumbersome and the latest feature, the latest improvements to console for the tiling makes it so much easier to use which is really nice because one of the things that was kind of bothersome about consoles tiling is that you'd had to prepare of how you want the tiling to be prior to doing it because once it's really it was kind of difficult to move things around once you uh, you know once you set them up but now it's super easy to do it because you can just use your mouse and drag and drop things wherever you want them to be. And it makes it so much easier and so much smoother to do. So very nice. I like that. Also, Kaden Live has new improvements to as well, including some new improvements to shortcuts. So the new things in Kaden Live are improvements to change the speed of a clip by just doing a uh, resizing the size, re- resizing the clip by hitting shift and then you just resize it by clicking on the clip and then like moving it back and forth. They also improved some uh, three point editing operations, making it more consistent with video editors. It's like previous videos. So if you transition to Kaden live, it makes it easier. And they've also improved some stuff like making it uh, more control about where you move the, uh, when you move the, di- the clips from different parts of the timeline, you can control whether it keeps them synced on various different tracks, like track numbers, or whether you can move it around independently. Uh, you'd have to check out that uh, the blog post for that because where it explains it a lot better than I can without showing demonstrating what it actually is because they actually have an animated gif that shows you how it, how it works. Uh, they also have there's many other tools that have a lot of updates and they got a lot of bug fixes and variety of different tools like user improvements and enhancements and so on so you know, just go check out the latest post from the kde for the applications 19.08 that has a whole list of everything so you know check that out if you want to learn more about it what's what's in it and also you can check out these applications really easily in most cases because pretty much all of them not all of them have support for every format but you can pretty much get any of these applications via Flatpak, Snap, or App Images. Now, because most of them support at least one of those three, so uh, it's pretty much uh, easy. It's really easy to get these applications because of that. So, you know, definitely go check it out. I have a link in the show notes if you'd like to learn more and maybe even to try out some of these applications. So, yeah, links KDE Applications 19.08, links in the show notes. Up next in the show is some great news from System76. So System76 created a graphical firmware manager that makes it possible to easily update your firmware in your system. Now, it used to be super annoying to do so. Not necessarily difficult, but very annoying because you used to have to do it in your BIOS for your motherboard. And in recent years, thanks to the Linux vendor firmware service, it's been a lot easier to do. But those that service relies on... Some other front end that's already built that utilize and integrates the features, such as GNOME Software or KDE Discover. Now, some distributions wouldn't have the ability to use the, this, these uh, software stores like GNOME Software and KDE Discover, or and they wouldn't have their own, maybe that wouldn't have their own application store in at all or they wouldn't have front-ends for the package manager to use it, so it would just create an issue where they couldn't get the firmware stuff because they weren't using a tool that did it. Now they have the ability to use this new uh, firmware manager tool from System76 and implement it into their distro and have a functionality to do it through a GUI, which is really, really cool. Now, it is worth noting that the this particular tool is only currently available for Debian-based distributions like Ubuntu and Pop!OS and etc., uh, but if... It's pos- it might be possible for, for the, in the future that someone could port it to different distribution bases. Uh, System76 has not said whether or not they will be doing that or not, but they have uh, put it out on GitHub, for, so it is open source. If any distribution wants to make it support their distribution, they totally can, so that's really cool. And they also created this application for the GTK front end. Now, I personally preferred the Qt toolkit, but they said that this particular uh, tool was created with GTK because, you know, they, Pop! OS uses GNOME, so it does make sense they would do so. But what's also really cool is that they say that the core of the framework is toolkit agnostic, so it makes it possible that if someone wants to de- develop a front end written in Cute or something else, they totally can, which is really cool. They also say that their new firmware management tool supports updating from both LVFS, the Linux Vendor Firmware Service, as well as the System76-Firmware system that they created for their own uh, hardware. And they also made it possible to be compatible with Wayland, which is really nice. So System76 also, and I quote here, uh, This work continues our transition from a hardware company shipping a distro to a hardware company providing an integrated holistic hardware and OS product. Still a lot of work ahead of us, but manufacturing, open firmware, and Pop!OS are all pulling together. So it's really interesting how they're kind of shifting their, their the path of their company, and I think it's you know it has a lot of potential to be great. And so far, they've been making a lot of great stuff. So you know I can't wait to see what happens with this. And also uh, they've they've actually released a new um, a new laptop that has it's it's actually called the System76 Darter Pro OSFC Edition. The OSFC refers to the open source firmware conference because this particular laptop is the first laptop from System76 to ship with CoreBoot in place of the proprietary BIOS. So that's really cool. It has LibreBoot and CoreBoot integrated into the the laptop so you can have an open source um, BIOS system, which is really cool. Um, there's also quite a few things that System76 System is doing from recently, like having, uh, you know, now having AMD support for their Thaleo desktops, as well as many other things. So if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to their blog posts about this, as well as the rest of their blog posts in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Kanopix. 8.6 was released this week, and Kanopix is a distribution that is based on Debian. And it, this particular version is, is the first version based on Debian 10, which is the Debian Buster. And but they also have some other packages that are using the Debian stable and Debian uns, or Debian testing and Debian unstable uh, repo pack uh, branches. And then they use those those packages because it makes it better um, better support for newer graphics drivers and you know better support for current hardware that's uh, you know available. And just you know quick tangent. The term "testing" and, st- and "unstable" don't really mean what people think it means. And well, the testing kind of does, but the the Debian stable and Debian unstable don't really mean whether they're st- they have stability or not. They don't like just because the package is, is in unstable rant the branch of Debian doesn't mean that it's going to break or whatever. It could break, possible, but it's not guaranteed. So the term "unstable" is not a very good term for what they use it for. And it's not really Debian's fault. It's more of like a programming situation because it's used by a lot of people. And the weird thing is is that 90% of people who hear it don't think about what it actually means. They consider it to be stability. But it doesn't mean that. It actually means not changing or not moving. And technically speaking, that word stable does mean that but it also gives a misconception to people because most people are going to look at it as stability. So my suggestion would be to projects to use the word static instead, because it doesn't give that confusion misconception. It just, you know, explains what it really means. So that's why I don't like the term stable. And uh, that's why unstable doesn't really mean unstable most of the time. well, Well, probably sometimes it does, but in this particular case, in the terms of like the labels of different releases, doesn't necessarily mean it's unstable, like, you know, guaranteed to break or whatever. It just means that it's not static. So, anyway, tangent over. Let's move on. So, this particular release of Canopics has Linux kernel 5.2.5, Xorg 7.7. So they can support newer and like current computer hardware that's available, uh, and it also has the ability to support old hardware if you would like to do so. Because Canopics is also a very light distribution, and it's very um, it's it's known for being one of the the first uh, one of the first distributions available to boot from a live CD and to or, or a live environment, uh, and that means it's also supporting not only 64-bit but also 32-bit. Now, in order to support really old uh, computers, they actually have an interesting way of doing that. So most of the content is inside of a USB uh, thumb thumb drive or a DVD if you if you have that. And uh, not all computers have support to boot USB though. So if you have a really old computer for some reason that you still use, and you need to boot from a live CD. they actually have a a smaller bootable CD image that you can use to boot into the system and then use the USB stuff on the USB drive. So that's a really cool structure if you want to use really old hardware for some reason anyway. It's cool that they they have that option. Now, uh, Canopics also has, by default, LXDE as their interface, but they do have other options such as GNOME 3 and KDE Plasma 5. Now, one of the things that is also really cool about Canopics is they have this thing called ADRIAN. It's an acronym um, that I don't remember exactly what it all means, but it's an, it's an accessible audio-based desktop environment, which is really, really cool. So it, it makes it a lot easier for people who have like uh, vision, vision disabilities or completely blind to be a lot easier to use the system through this. Uh, I've never tried it though so i can't tell you how well how well it works or whatever how it works but it does say that they have support for even braille which is really interesting so if you know someone who has vision issues and wants to try out a distribution distribution that canopics might be an option to check out from that Uh, canopics is a really cool distribution it's been around for a very long time and i like it a lot so if you would like to check it out you can you can check out uh, the link in the show notes for canopics 8.6 up next in the show is an interesting project that's not technically available yet, but will be coming soon, and that is the Cutie Pie. This is an open source tablet, so if you're looking for a fully open source tablet, including not just the software but also the hardware, then Cutie Pie might be something to check out. So uh, it's it's pretty interesting because they have a demonstration of like what it's going to be, but they more of like have like, like a development build showing out how it works. And it has a, it's going to have a 1280 by 800 pixel IPS uh, display with it. it will be eight inch, by the way, I should probably specify that it's an eight inch tablet. It's going to have a 4800 milliamp battery, milliamp hour battery. It's going to have USB type A support and micro SD card reader, uh, GPIO pins that are six GPIO pins, and it's expected to be released sometime around the, the end of the year. So hopefully it'll be available for like, you know, around uh, Christmas time or whatever, but we don't know exactly for sure yet. And they also are going to be doing a crowd supply like fundraiser type thing. I don't really know uh, when that's going to happen because unfortunately they haven't uh, scheduled that yet. Uh, But you can go to their website and actually put in your email address to be notified when it does happen if you'd like to do so. Uh, So anyway, the QtPi is using a Raspberry Pi 3 compute module. Uh, and you know it, this makes it bit better because it's like allows you to make it smaller and make it more efficient rather than using a full Raspberry Pi and that's why they're using that they can also make it like you know much thinner as well uh, the video of the developer edition shows them pinching and zooming with like you know pretty pretty good ease on the interface as well as a really nice on-screen keyboard for browsing so if you want to check out I have a link to that as well. Um, They also say about their device, whether you're opening an app or SSHing to a remote server or displaying a dashboard, QtPi's touch-friendly interface can help you with all that. Connecting a keyboard or a mouse is no longer mandatory. So that's pretty interesting. If you want to check it out, I have a link to it in the show notes as well as uh, a link to their main website where you can sign up to get notified when when the crowd supply thing is uh, launched. So link in the show notes. Up next in the show is some more information about Huawei. So, previous episode, I talked about Huawei and how they were making their new Harmony OS open source operating system. And I asked if people wanted to get more information about it when they were, you know, new stuff from Huawei came out. And people were definitely wanting to get more. So, I decided I'll do a follow-up for their latest thing because this is pretty interesting too. So... Um, there's some a lot of interesting things that are happening with both Harmony OS and the Huawei company in general because, according to China.org or China.org.cn, Huawei is looking to create China's first open source foundation. Now, the organization plans to bring in technology partners from all around, and the foundation is launch is going to be launching next month. Uh, they, they they say it's pretty interesting because they say uh, in this article talking from China.org.net.cn. I mean. Uh, it says the plan for the software foundation came after GitHub, the world's largest host of source code, preventing prevented in July some users from Iran and other nations like Crimea, and uh, they were saying they were preventing them from using it because they were sanctioned by U.S. government uh, from accessing portions of the service. So this is based on the interference from those uh, from for those people uh, from the U.S. sanctions, making it you know uh, making it difficult for them to use services like GitHub and they're saying that you know from uh, Huawei is looking to make its own foundation that will help to push open source and not be tied to a single company that can be interfered by you know with the government so the idea is that the foundation itself will not be just a Huawei foundation it'll be a foundation that'll be like an open source foundation in China that other companies could utilize and be a part of as well so China and iron based companies in other countries caught up in sanctions or influence will likely join could have the ability to join up to help push the software forward and not have to worry about the sanctions so it'd be interesting um definitely be pretty interesting to see what happens with this foundation and what you know what companies from various countries decide to join in or you know whatever Uh, because the you know the issues with huawei are like they have to deal with all kinds of different things about like they're not allowed to use certain types of Uh, vendors for a while and then all of a sudden the sanctions or banning of Huawei is now it was kind of like pulled back a little bit and but it's still kind of there so it's like really like you know up in the air in like a gray area so we don't really know exactly what's going to happen for them but you know it's interesting overall Um, but I think it would be good for overall for open source because you know as long as it's a true open source and not like an like an open washing thing, they're actually true open source. I think it has a lot of potential and it'd be very interesting to see what happens. So I'll keep you updated to to let you know what happens with the new foundation thing because uh, I'm definitely interested to see what happens and I think you will be too. So I'll have a link in the show notes for more from the china.org.cn article if you'd like to check it out. Uh, So yeah, link in the show notes. So I just want to take a brief moment in the show to let you know about certain things related to the channel and related to this podcast. So basically, it's like a housekeeping section, which is commonly done in podcasts, which I've never done for no apparent reason, and I decided I need to fix that. So uh, last episode, I talked about the Telegram group and the Discord servers, and this was this is actually realized I need to make this housekeeping section because people were joining the groups and in the server and letting me know that they were happy that it existed and they didn't know it existed prior. And uh, that's my fault because the groups and the server has been, or the Discord server and the Telegram group have existed for quite a long time a couple years now, I think. And uh, the last time I talked about the Telegram group and the Discord server before that was on episode 34, which was basically a year ago. So it became an annual thing that I mentioned it accidentally, really. And I decided I need to do that more often to let you know about stuff. That Not only just the Telegram group and Discord server, but of various other things to talk about for the show and channel. So to uh, clarify about the Telegram group Discord, if you want to join those, you can have conversations with me as well as other people in the community by going to tuxdigital.com slash Telegram for text chat. And there's also some text chat on Discord, but if you want to do voice chat, you can do uh, join tuxdigital.com slash Discord for that. And also, there is an audio podcast of this show. So if you'd like to listen to the mp3 version of the show and audio only, you can subscribe to the show in your very podcast app, or you can, uh, you know, you can actually search for your your podcast app in whatever app, I mean, pretty much all platforms support it. Even Spotify, you can listen to the show on Spotify if you want to. Uh, but you can go to touchshow.com slash Linux to subscribe with the, subscri- the mp3 feed, or you can just search through it for your um, various whatever app you'd like to use. And you'd also can uh, support the Tuxedizel channel and this podcast by going to Tuxedizel.com slash Patreon or Tuxedizel.com slash sponsors to support the channel. I'll have a link in the show notes to both of those for patreon and sponsors if you would like to become a patron to support the channel on this podcast it helps make it helps it pos- makes it possible for me to make this show and it also gives you a, a perk some perks and rewards by becoming a patron so you can get a- early access to videos you can uh, you get access to being a part of various different uh, things that i'm starting to do uh, actually just a bunch of different perks you I'll have a list there'll be a list on those pages when you go to it and um, if you but if you want to support the channel without actually spending any money, well, technically money for that purpose, you could do so by using our affiliate links by going to text slash affiliates. Now, these links are links for places like Amazon, private access, humble bundle and many more. You can find a whole list of stuff that you can you can use to contribute to the show and to the channel without actually costing any specifically for this for the channel uh, by going to text slash affiliates. And if you would like to, uh, to check out the Destination Linux podcast that I'm a co-host of, I really think you should do so because the next episode is episode 135, and we have some really cool stuff on that one, including two interviews, uh, one with Simon Steinbeis, with, he's a developer for XFCE. And we also have a the community manager and developer manager from uh, UbiPorts, a.k.a. Ubuntu Touch, uh, Dalton Durst, joins us to have a, an interview with both of those. So it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, Dalton also was kind enough to stay to be our co-host of the show. So if you want to check out, I think there's was a great episode to uh, check out the podcast of Destination Linux. And you can do so by going to DestinationLinux.org. Now, well, the 135 episode is not out as of right now. But it will be out soon, so you ne- definitely need to subscribe to it by going to destinationlinux.org. You can subscribe to the RSS feed or to the YouTube channel, or just search for it, and it's your podcast app, just like this one. And also, finally, I want to let you know that there are some big things coming up for this sh- this channel and the show. Uh, I don't, I can't really tell you exactly what's happening, but in the next couple of weeks or so. We're going to be doing uh, um, doing some really interesting things. Going to launch some pretty cool stuff, some pretty big news. I can't tell you yet, but I will tell you soon. So, just you know, subscribe and like that smash button, and also you know, ring the bell so you get notifications of when I post new things, as well as when I announce some stuff. So, yeah, that's the that's it for this housekeeping segment. The first time I ever did it wasn't very uh, clean and concise because I've never done it before, and I didn't script anything at all. So yeah, maybe next time I'll script it. We'll see. Up next in the show is Endeavor OS. So if you're not aware, Endeavor OS is a distribution that was created from the ashes of Entergos because Entergos was killed this past May, and Endeavor OS is basically being created because of the death of Entergos. So uh, it's pretty interesting because they've done quite a lot of stuff in this very small amount of time. It's only been roughly about three months now, and they've done uh, quite a lot. In fact, they've actually done uh, pretty pretty well to the point where I am testing out uh, Endeavor as my secondary distribution. I'm car- I'm still using my primary, but. Uh, Endeavour is, you know, it's it's impressive to me. So I might be using it a little bit more, uh, but it is de- it is my pri- my secondary right now. So I've been testing it out myself for the past couple weeks or so, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, so far, I'm liking it. And uh, they this latest version has updates to their Calamari's installer of three point two point eleven. They've updated their kernel and Mesa drivers to five point two point eight and nineteen point one point four respectively. They've also done some updates to their Nuvo drivers as well as the Broadcom um, kernel modules. And they've also made some improvements, such as fixing some issues with inside of uh Calamaris that previously there weren't uh, the auto logging auto login wasn't working. It now is working. And they also fixed the VirtualBox detection. So if you run Endeavor OS in VirtualBox, it will detect that and make some changes based on that. So your the experience will be better out of the box in VirtualBox if you were to do if you were to do that. So it's pretty cool. It's a really interesting distribution, and uh, I am I look forward to see what happens with it. Uh, it has a lot of potential, and uh, yeah. So if you'd like to learn more about this, we've actually talked about Endeavor OS in a previous episode with more details, and I will definitely be doing a review of this distribution because uh, so far I am liking it a lot. So we'll see uh, about whether I use it or not. It's the primary but I definitely will make a video about it because I am a fan of what they're doing and especially of what their roadmap is where they're going to be doing a an easier install of Arch than you know other options are. And the funny thing is, is that Interagos was a distribution that people called the inst- the easy installer for Arch. But Interagos was a lot more than that. A lot more than that. And that's kind of why it didn't work out in the long run. It's because they wanted to do too much. So... This is an interesting thing because Endeavor is basically doing what everyone thought Interagos was, but doing it, like actually doing it, Where I, so I think that is really cool. So anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Endeavor OS, I have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show this week is Neptune 6.0. So Neptune is a distribution of Linux based on Debian. They have this is actually the first version of the Debian Buster or Debian 10 series for Neptune. So they have uh, KDE Plasma 5.14.5. They have kernel 4.19.37, and as you can see, it's not the most up to date version because it's using Debian stable. And some distributions will take Debian Stable and also add some other packages, like we talked about with Canopics. Uh, But Neptune is more focused on taking the Debian Stable and then polishing it up in the way that they think that they, that they like it. So if you lo- are looking for a distribution that's like that, where it's a Debian Stable-based distribution and also has the customizations based on what they prefer, then it might be worth checking out for you. Uh, there's, uh, it's actually pretty interesting that they use, uh, they customize the, the Plasma. In a way that they don't use the really super bright version of plasma by default, which is good. You don't—that's a weird default. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's if you are interested in checking it out, I have a link to Neptune 6.0 in the show notes. And for the last topic of distro news this week, we're going to talk about Slackware. So Slackware actually created a Patreon that, if you would like to support the Slackware distribution, you can do so. I have a link in the show notes to that uh, that particular link. And uh, it's interesting because if you're not aware, it might be weird that I'm talking about a Patreon for that just a Patreon for the distribution, uh, but this is actually something that is interesting because of the previous history of Slackware. So Slackware has been around for a very long time, since 1993. Slackware is the, long, the oldest currently active distribution period. It's uh, it's not. It wasn't the first ever distribution, but it's it's been around the, like all the other ones no longer exist. So it's the longest running one, and they've done a lot of work for the you know the community and the eco- ecosystem. And it's it's kind of weird because in a previous episode, this, the the fact that they made a Patreon is not weird. What was weird is that they had a store a while back where you could buy CDs and stuff. And I think there was merch or something, but the store wasn't actually a Slackware controlled store. It was made by other people. And those people were taking advantage of Slackware and the, and the developers. Uh, and to the point of like taking a ridiculous percentage of how much money was being made in the store and, you know, basically ripping off the, the Slackware team and the main developer. So to, to a ridiculous level, so for example he said that the 14.2 release generated nearly $100,000 in revenue. The store gave the Slackware founder $15,000 instead of out of the $100,000. And they also then say it said later that he was overpaid. So the level of absurdity and how massively ridiculous that was is just astounding. Uh, so he decided to completely to cut ties with them because obviously they're horrible and he should. And uh, we talked about this particular issue in episode 34 of This Week in Linux. If you'd like to go check that out, I'll have a link in the show notes to that uh, that segment. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I go in more, way more detail in that particular episode. If you would want to know more, more about this, uh, but this is really cool because they created a Patreon because it makes people who I mean, allows people to so, to uh, contribute to the Slackware distribution because you know it's basically like a great, a, a big legacy uh, distribution as well. Uh, so you know, anyway, if you'd like to support the Slackware distribution, you can find a link to their Patreon in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a new-ish application, and by new I mean it's not actually new, but they've renamed it in their latest release, so it looks kind of new, it seems new because it's got a new name, Uh, but it's actually a a GTK front-end to MPV. MPV is a fantastic media player, and it's actually my preference, I have not... Use this particular front end because I, I I like the regular MPV. But if you would like a MP, uh, a front end to MPV, then I would say check out Celluloid. This was the uh, new name for the uh the what it used to be called was GNOME MPV or GNOME MPV, and they've changed it to Celluloid. Now that seems like a weird name, and it kind of is, but it also sort of makes sense when you find, you know if you know what celluloid is. It's basically a flammable material that is made from like a couple chemicals, When you, and then you also use this, this material to make pho- photographic and movie film. Uh, so it does make sense. In uh, this latest release, they have migrated from OpenGL-CB to the new Render API, and they've also in, added some new uh, key bindings, be able to use uh, Unicode key bindings and Numpad key bindings, as well as made uh, better support for media keys on your keyboard, so you can now forward those media key events to MPV. So this is pretty cool, and I think that that MPV is, is easily my favorite uh, media player. I haven't tried Celluloid yet, uh, but I do plan on checking it out. Uh, if you would like to ch- uh, check it out yourself, I'll have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show are some Humble Bundles. So the we're going to talk about a couple, the, a game bundle and a book bundle. So first of all, the game bundle is a uh, called the Jackbox Party Games Bundle, and it is based on the franchise for you don't know jack now there are a couple games that are actually like with the name you don't know jack those are not linux native applica- or name native games but the jackbox party games are i don't they might those other ones might work in proton i'm not sure i didn't have time to check but they might work i don't know uh but the jackbox party games are native to linux so those will work just fine if you're interested in that kind of like a party game thing like a group you know hangout games, sort of stuff um, I have a link to that in the show notes and also the one of the reasons I wanted to cover Humble Bundle is because they have this new uh, bundle for Python programming and the they have a lot of great books in here and there's also some fun ones uh, so first of all they have stuff like automate the boring stuff with Python that's cool, invent your own computer games with Python, alright Python for Kids, Python Playground impractical Python projects that's pretty fun and also some hacker stuff they have a black hat python and a gray hat python book for like teaching you how to use python for pen testing so there's actually quite a few books in here that are pretty interesting so if you would like to check it out i'll have a link to it in the show notes and before we move on to the topic next topic i want to let you know that these links are affiliate links so if you do decide to purchase any either one of these bundles uh, please use that link because it will give a small percentage to the tux digital channel and to this podcast and it helped make it help me make this show possible Uh, So if you don't mind, please use that link in the, in the show notes below. uh, If you do decide to purchase one of these bundles up next in the show is Flycast. Flycast is a Dreamcast emulator and it's an open source project as well. And Flycast is really interesting because uh, it's, it's a fork of another uh, application called Rycast. I think it's how you say that one or Raycast. I'm not sure maybe, Uh, but it's, it's a fork of that. And it seems to be having a lot more more development on the flycast side because there are some things that have been done for that that are very good and very cool. Uh, so flycast is made by Flying Head, and they've significantly improved the uh, the their BIOS support system for the HLE BIOS. And this they've said that this has support for ninety percent of Dreamcast games now. Uh, So both of the versions that they create Flycast with are now supported up to like ninety percent of Dreamcast games. Now the reason why this is cool is because this marks uh, like an important point in the in the development of the project where users are no longer required to go seek out external Dreamcast BIOS files because for Rycast and previous versions of Flycast, you actually had to get these specific uh, BIOS files from a Dreamcast. So you had to dump the files from an actual Dreamcast or figure out where to download them from. And then that way the, the emulator would work. Now with this HLE BIOS support... They don't actually have to do that, so you don't. You can just, you know, run a Dreamcast game out of the box without having to set up any of the specific BIOS stuff. So this is fantastic because that is a huge improvement to the previous versions, as well as the uh, previous, you know, forked project or original project, I guess. Uh, and so H and also HLE BIOS is now enabled by default. So your autom- so as you if you install Flycast, you can actually try it out if you have these ROMs, uh, GD ROMs. I'm pretty sure they're called. Uh, So if you want to, if you want to learn more about this, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, But also maybe it's it's worth noting that the, uh, the way that Flycast works is there's two different versions. One's called just regular and the other one's called uh, Windows CE. So you're going to make sure you get the regular version. Um, And then that anyway, but they're actually working on merging those together and to make one single version that will be coming sometime next month. Uh, That's the plan anyway. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's just worth noting that also the save states, if you already, per, if you already use Flycast and, uh, you have save states in previous games, those are not compatible yet with his latest version. So, uh, if you do, then there's that. So if you haven't heard of Flycast, then you, def, you, you should definitely check it out. If you're interested in Dreamcast games, I have actually seen this before, but I didn't try to even play it but, or use it because of the whole BIOS setup file stuff. Just, I didn't think it was worth the effort. And now that I don't have to do that, I'm definitely interested. Can't wait to do some Crazy Taxi. And finally this week is Google Stadia. So Google Stadia is a service that Google is starting in November of this year, where you'll be able to use your existing devices. Or I think you actually have to, if you're going to get the first version, you're going to have to get the Chromecast, but the, the founder edition and it'll be like $120 to get the controller and the other stuff to, you know, make it all work and everything. And then in the future, it's a $10 a month fee to play some games and get, you know, whatever. Now, it's interesting because people might think about this being a Netflix for games, but it's not that at all. Because Netflix, you pay a small fee and you can watch whatever you want anytime you want. Whereas Google Stadia, you pay a small fee and... And you get some extra benefits, but it's mostly like getting be- better resolution and that kind of thing and better frame rate, I guess. Uh, but you're not getting access to the games. You still have to buy the games. You will get a free game once a month, but it's a random game that they just give you. Uh, so that's, you know, it's not the same thing at all. There's a lot of potential to this, and it is interesting because there's like there's companies that tried to do this in the past that failed not you know they didn't it didn't work like on live it didn't really work um but at this point the data the data servers are at the same and the speeds of connections are so you know good these days in comparison with what they used to be at the time that on live tried it it's you know there's potential there and i really really like the fact that google stadia is based on linux so people might be thinking why are you talking about this if you've not heard of this before you might be thinking why are you talking about this It's because Google Stadia is based on Debian Linux. All the servers are powered by Debian and also all the games are powered by Vulkan. So there's a couple reasons why this is awesome. One, using Linux. Two, there's potential here for support for these games to be on Linux. That is what I'm super excited about. I don't care about Google Stadia really. I care about the fact that it might happen. I don't know if it will. Maybe there's some exclusive deal or something. Who knows? Google's involved, so it could be all kinds of weird nonsense. I'm not a really, I'm not a fan of Google uh, in general. So it's just, it has a lot of potential to benefit Linux if these games, by working on Stadia, also mean they work on Linux. Because if they're focused on working with Debian and Vulkan, there's a high possibility that they'll also work and basically just using any Linux system. And I'm super excited because of that potential possibility. And also because the games that were announced recently for Google Stadia. One of them being Attack on Titan 2, Cyberpunk 2077, Doom Eternal, Borderlands 3, uh, Grid, Mortal Kombat 11, like so many games that I want to play, but typically wouldn't be available for Linux at least not for a while and maybe by Google Stadia using Linux as the basis for their system it might make it it give incentive to the developers to like hey we already make it for Linux anyway we might as well push it to them here so that's what I'm hoping for crossing my fingers and stuff but uh, I don't know hopefully that's what happens we'll see Uh, if you'd like to learn more about this particular uh, update I'll have a link to their announcement video in the show notes below Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can get learn more by going to slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t shirt by going to slash Linux Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to TuxDigital.comslash Linux EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a quick reminder, episode 135 is going to have a interview with a representative from XFCE with Simon, and also another interview with Dalton, who's a representative of Ubiports, aka uh, Ubuntu Touch. So be sure to check that out. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.